Well, good morning, everyone. How did you make it? Um, if you need a Bible or a pen, um, the ushers can come by and bring that to you. Just raise your hand and they'll uh, find you and, and give that to you. My name is Josh Watson. I'm the adult education and life group pastor here at Whitestone. And if you actually come to Whitestone regularly, then you know that every summer, starting in June, uh, we have the Family Sunday Series. That's when you know, our Sunday school volunteers are given a little bit of a, a small break, and the children join us together here in the sanctuary to worship with us. And we try to more or less gear the messages of just a little bit more uh, to accommodate the children as best as we can. But don't worry, that's not this week. It starts next week. So if you're confused there for a little bit, you thought you left your kids unsupervised upstairs. You didn't. Although maybe some of you don't even care. <laughs> Whatever, they're not here. But in light of the Family Sunday series starting next week and the importance that we believe family is to God and worshiping together as a family uh, and growing together as a family, I thought I'd share a little bit this morning on that subject, on the subject of family. Uh, that is what God's design is from the very beginning in regards to family. You know, that is his purpose or his plan as to how humans would fill this earth by existing within a family. Because it's interesting, when you, when you pause to think about it, God could have filled this earth with humans in any number of different ways. I mean, he could have created a new batch of humans out of the dust every 50 years or so and filled the earth that way. Or he could have, just right from the start, created 7 billion people and had them live for thousands of years. That could have worked as well. Or he could have had children grow on trees. <laughs> we could go and pick the ones that we like, the ones we want. You know, the, the tree of human life full of good and evil. <laughs> but the point is that God really could have done anything that he wanted to fill this earth, but the process that he chose was family, that we come into this world and that we live out our entire life within a family. We're born into a family, and then when we grow up, we get to start our own family. But in both cases, it's a permanent bond. You're a part of each other for life. And this is how God designed human life to exist on this earth. This is the process that he built into his creation. It's therefore the foundation, it's the building block of all society. And that's why you read about it from the very start of his word, right there in the first couple pages of the Bible, in Genesis 1 and 2. It's all there. God's design for family, a design for all generations and for all cultures. And so today I just want to open the Bible and look at those first few pages of the Bible and look at what God says about his creation of humans, about his design in marriage, and his will for family. So let's start right there with the first one, his creation of humans. And you can see it in Genesis 1, 
verse 27. It says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, there's a ton that could be talked about from this verse, especially with regards to being made in God's image. There's a lot there. Uh, But since this morning we're looking specifically at God's design for family, I just want to focus more on the last part of that verse where it says, male and female, he created them. Or he created them male and female. From the moment that we were created, from the moment that humans were created, they were male and female. That's how God made them. In other words, they didn't become male and female. Like you can become a shepherd or you can become a farmer. Because that's actually what we read just a couple chapters later in Genesis 4 about Cain and Abel. It says that as they grew up, eventually they chose to become those things. Genesis 4, 2. This is what it literally says. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain became a tiller of the ground. And the Hebrew word used in this verse is chayah, which is often translated, we see it as was, but when you look very carefully at the literal definition, it's to come to pass or to become. So Abel chose to become a shepherd and Cain chose to become a farmer. So that's what they were. But in Genesis 1.27, it simply says, male and female, he created them. In fact, many years later from this, Jesus, when he came to this earth, he says the exact same thing. Matthew 19, 4. He who created them from the beginning made them male and female. That's Jesus speaking. Mark 10, 6 also. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. And this fact, it's an awesome thing because when God decided to create humans as male and female, he chose to reflect his image in a very unique way. Uniquely in male, uniquely in female. Both highlight the image of God, just a little differently. Now, you can take this for what it's worth, but according to multiple scientific studies that I looked into, as well as what a lot of us experience, males are usually stronger. Females are usually more merciful. Males... (laughs) Males tend to be more task-goal-oriented, Females, more so relationship-oriented. Males want to get the future in order. Females like it when the home is in order. Males are quicker to strong emotion. Females to positive emotion. Males have a stronger instinct to provide. Females have a stronger instinct to nurture. Males tend to be more impulsive. Females more cautious. And of course, males more often choose steak, females a healthy salad. Now, these are all very general. There's always exceptions to every single one of these. They're not cut and dry, just general. But the cool thing is, is that when you put them together, you get a better picture of who God is as a whole. We serve a God who is strong, yet merciful sovereign, yet relational. He is eternal and precise, full of zeal, 
yet full of joy. He is our great provider, yet cares deeply how we feel. And he's ready to give up everything for us, but ultimately for his glory. And he created both meat and vegetables <laughs> for us to eat. Now, you've probably heard this before, but I think it's a pretty good illustration. As we know, boys tend to navigate towards the color blue. Girls tend to navigate towards the color pink. Boys just more often like blue. Girls more often like pink. But what happens when you put them together? What color do you get? Purple, the color of royalty, the color of our king, God. So we were created to bear the image of God in many different ways. And one part of that is the fact that we were created male and female. And that's one reason why. It's exciting as parents when you get to find out whether you're going to have a boy or a girl in each pregnancy. Because you get to find out the unique way that your child is going to reflect God's image in this world. And because at that time you then get to use that knowledge and wield it over your family and friends as some kind of power. <laughs> Come to my house, eat some refreshments, wait around for a couple hours, then I will reveal to you what my <laughs> child's gender is. And of course, once you do, you always get exactly half of the people who say, I told you. I knew it. Didn't I call it? I said they would be that. Yes, you're now two for four. <laughs> but we have to remember, though, that God has a plan for our life and how he wants us to bear his image. And that's why he gives us the personality that he gives us. It's why he gives us the talents that he has given us. And that's also why he's created us male or female. We are custom designed. We are custom made. We are handcrafted by the creator to fulfill a unique purpose on this earth today that no one else can or ever could in history. That's how uniquely we're created. So that's one reason, one reason why God created us the way that he did. But there's another purpose in God's wisdom of why. Not only to bear the image of God in a unique way and to fulfill a purpose that he has designed and laid out for us, but also because it's the second, it leads to the second foundational truth for family in Genesis 1 and 2, his design in marriage. God's design in marriage. It says in Genesis 2, 22 to 24, And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This is at last bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So when you read this, you can tell Adam's pretty excited. At last, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Basically, he's saying, finally, someone like me. Because you remember, he just got done naming hundreds of animals, giving names to all these animals that God had brought to them, to him. But none of them was, you know, suitable for a companion for him. So you can imagine that after all that, Adam's probably a little disappointed. Genesis 2, verse 20, it says, The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. I mean, imagine going through all 
these creatures, naming them so different, all these creatures so different from each other, but then realizing that none of them are the right match for you. It's still just a bunch of animals. I know there's probably a lot of single people who think that that perfectly describes the dating scene today. <laughs> no matches, just animals. <laughs> but Adam had it worse because there was no other humans on the earth at that time. I actually used this as an encouragement to myself and a reminder when I became a missionary in India because I, th I thought that I would find, oh, you know, find someone in college and get married, find a wife in college. So I went through four years. Of course, no luck. So when I graduated and I left to be an, uh, a missionary in India indefinitely, I thought to myself, well, if God can bring a wife to Adam when there were literally no other humans on earth, <laughs> then surely he can provide someone for me. And at the right time, he did. Just like God caused Eve to have pity on Adam, God caused Karina to have pity on me. But this is why that when Adam wakes up from this you know, deep sleep, this coma that God put him in, and he sees Eve, he says, at last. This one's like me. She's got bones like me. She's got flesh like me. And she was even taken out of me. And that's why he calls her woman, because she was taken out of man. Or in Hebrew, she's called Isha, because she's taken out of Ish. Adam was still probably in the frame of mind of naming animals, and so when he saw her, he thought, this one's a lot like me, but yet different. Much better looking. I'll call her woman. But here's the main point. Not only did the name woman come from the fact that she was taken out of the man, but look at what it says in verse 24. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Therefore they shall become one flesh. Because the woman was taken out of the flesh of the man, therefore the two of them shall come back together as one flesh in marriage. This is the definition of marriage. Two becoming one. A man and a woman who are biologically designed by their creator to come together as one flesh. This is the first marriage between the first man and the first woman. And again, Jesus says the exact same thing when he comes to this earth in Matthew 19 and in Mark 10, where the context of those passages is marriage. In fact, if you look at the Hebrew language, in Genesis 2, as well as the Greek language in Matthew 19 and Mark 10, those verses all literally say this, the man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his woman. Man, woman. Woman is translated as wife when that woman belongs to a man in marriage, just like man is translated as husband when that man belongs to a woman in marriage. The man and the woman belong to each other by physically becoming a part of each other. And that's why we read in other passages of Scripture, like in Leviticus 20, verse 13, if a man lies with a male as with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. Also in the New Testament, in Romans 1, 27, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, 
men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. So becoming one flesh is what God designed in Genesis 1.27, it tells us, specifically for marriage. A special union between a man and a woman for life. Two, becoming one. But not only that, but it's also because it then leads us to the other purpose that God has for the two becoming flesh. Becoming one flesh. Children. Family. Already we've covered those two first foundational stones for family. That God created them male and female, Genesis 1.27, and that they become one flesh in marriage in Genesis 2.24. But all this is leading up to something really big. God has a very important purpose for humankind that he is building up to. And that's the third foundational truth in Genesis 1 and 2, his will for family. Genesis 1.28 tells us, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's will for this earth has always been that humans should multiply and fill it. In other words, have children. Have as many children as you want. Multiple children. This is God's will right from the very first chapter. And in this regard, we have to admit, previous generations have done a lot better job at it than us. One study I looked at shows that in 2022, there was an average of 1.94 children under 18 per family in the United States. So less than two per family. In 1900, it was 3.56. So almost twice as much. But in 1800, it was 7.04. Average of more than seven kids per family. Today, if someone has seven kids, they're called insane. <laughs> in 1800, they were called average. It's rare today. I mean, how many of us can think of a family that we know personally that has at least seven children in it? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's some. I try to think. I came up with four. One I was married into. But the will of God from the start is always that humans would seek to have children and to multiply, to fill the earth. Now, at the same time, we know, of course, that God is the creator of every single child, every single life, and so ultimately it is up to him how many children we are able to have or not. That's another thing where we trust him, we yield to him in that. But children have always been considered a blessing in Scripture, a gift from God, a reward, a heritage. But why? Why does God want a man and a woman who marry to seek to have children and to multiply? It tells us very clearly in Malachi 2.15. It says this, did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Godly offspring, that's why. When we are fruitful and we have children, we have the privilege and the opportunity to raise those children to be godly. That's the main purpose of having children, to raise up a godly offspring. Not so much successful offspring, not wealthy offspring, not talented offspring, but first and foremost, godly offspring. 
We get to teach them everything we can about God and then send them out as lights into this world. In fact, something very similar is said in Psalm 102, verse 18. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord. So this, again, gives the reason that each of us is created, to praise the Lord, and why we have children, to raise another generation to praise the Lord. But notice also what it says here when it says, a people yet to be created. Each one is knit and woven together by God in their mother's womb. Each one is created. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. So human life is first created, and then, only after that, it is born. First, the creation of life, then the birth of life. And since God is the creator of every single life and the maker of every human in existence, then naturally it all belongs to him. It's his. That's why God puts an extremely high value on all human life, even very small children, because he created it. It's his, and that life bears his image. I mean, look at what, in, in Luke 18, if you turn there, Luke 18, verses 15 and 16, this is what it says. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them, said, saying, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. The disciples were making the error of putting a low importance on infants. And so Jesus rebukes them for it. Jesus wanted to make it very clear. He puts a very high value on all human life. In fact, look at what it says in Leviticus 20, verse 1 and 2. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Say to the people of Israel, any one of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn in Israel who gives any of his children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone him with stones. So sacrificing your child's life to a false god was punishable by death. The same death penalty was required if a baby was given to an idol like the idol Moloch, as if someone murdered another person. All life is of infinite value to the one who created that life. And not just infants, even babies still in their mother's womb. Look at how Scripture refers to, the un to unborn babies. Genesis 25, 22 says, the children struggled together within her. So the Bible says that Rebecca had children within her, children within her. Judges 13, 4 and 5 says, Be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. So Samson was already set apart as a child, set apart to God, even from his mother's womb. Luke 1, 15, He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. In fact, look at what it says in Exodus 21, 22, and 23. And this should make it all the more clear and emphatic to all of us the value that God puts on all human life. When men, it says this, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, 
If there is harm, then you shall pay life for life. Life for life. They are called children before they come out, before they are born. And if there is any harm done to the pregnant so that the child comes out and dies, the punishment to the offender is death, the death penalty. So it's clear to see from Scripture that all human life is infinitely valuable to God. God creates each life, and he creates each one of us with the purpose to bear his image in this world in a unique way. It's all part of God's design for family. And that's what we've been looking at, that we were created to reflect God's image, to live in close relationship, and to raise up another generation to praise him. And it's why he tells us all of this right away, right in the first couple pages of Scripture. God's design for family is right there from the start, so we don't miss it. But as we close this morning, let me just highlight three key points. Number one, God has a purpose and a plan in the way that he designed you. Infinite wisdom is behind the creation of your life. Your talents, your personality, where you were born, when you were born, all of it, everything. He intends for each one of us to reflect his image and his glory in a very unique way that no one else can or ever could. Number two, we need other humans. When God said it is not good for man to be alone, yes, we read about the first marriage right afterwards. But this is also a general truth as well because there were no other humans on the earth at the time. It's not good for any human to try to live and to go at this life all alone and to isolate themselves and to disconnect themselves completely from others. We need friends. We need company. We need fellowship. We need other believers. We were created from the beginning to be benefited by other humans. Human company is a gift to us. Speaking of number three, children are a gift. They're always described in Scripture as a gift or a reward. We just have to remember to not lose focus of what our main, parents is, our main purpose is as parents or as teachers or as mentors or even as, you know, VBS volunteers to raise up another generation of godly offspring, boys and girls who will grow up to praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have revealed to us right in the first couple pages of your word, your design, your infinitely wise design for human life on this earth, and that we bear your image, and that you've created us each unique, and that you love us infinitely, and that you are calling out to each one of us that we can see that there is a great purpose and a meaning and a value to our lives to reflect you and to be satisfied and enjoy you here on this earth all the days. Lord, thank you for family. Thank you that you've given family to us, other humans as well, company. Lord, I pray that we would see these things for the purpose and the intent that you created them to be. 
and that we would seek to raise up and to influence and to guide this generation and the next to follow you, to be a godly offspring, to be another generation that praises the Lord. Lord, we thank you. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. If you need prayer, anyone, we have our prayer team over here that would love uh, to pray with you if you have any needs. But have a wonderful day.